Good morning. Good to see all of your faces. <laughs> Hallelujah. The starting text I want to use is in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. I want to pray before we start. Lord God, we come to you this morning, and as that last song said, we want to receive not only your reign, we want to receive your love and understand your love for us in a deeper way. Whatever we think we understand about it, you want to take us to another level so we grow more in love with you. Jesus, just help us to see you for who you are, We ask this in your name. Amen. You know, at times you wonder, um, can Jesus really relate to what I'm going through? Can Jesus really understand my situation? Because you're thinking of him up in heaven, which he is on the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is within us. But we just really doubt sometimes that he can comprehend like how I'm feeling and what I'm going through. And I just need to lay a foundation here this morning so that we can, we can see. I've got I to put some verses up there so we can see um, like who Jesus Christ really is in a way, hopefully, that you've never seen it that, in, that, in that depth through the scriptures. Because we have concepts in our mind of what we want him to be. You know, we, we make him in our own image so that we can live the way we want. But I want to, what I want to share this morning is, is to encourage you to know that, if there's a title to this, is Jesus, Jesus Knows or Jesus Understands exactly what we're going through. And um, so as a foundation, I just want to look a little bit at the, the incarnation. What's the incarnation? It's when God became a man. He became a man. He's fully God, and at the same time, he's fully man. And sometimes you wonder in your mind, you know, which, how is he operating? And you, you can't even, I was talking to someone before the service, you can't even comprehend that because it's supernatural. Jesus, the eternal God, coming in the form of a man. And why did he do that? Not only did he die for our sins, but also so that we can, we're able to relate to him as he was fully human. And so in this um, passage here, Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. So we, we see here this incarnation where he becomes a man. And then I want to show us the divine side, um, John 1, verses 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. The beginning of what? Not, not the world, the beginning of... Time. Yeah, time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Show that verse to a Jehovah Witness when they can see that the Word was God. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. The Word is God, and the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is God. And we, we can say, oh yeah, I knew that, but there's a lot of people that will not admit to that. He was a good man, he was a good prophet, he was a good teacher, but when you say that he was God, that just narrows it down, where then the, the discussion stops. And so, uh, and then 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's the mystery of godliness. God was manifested himself in the flesh. Jesus is God in human form. God became man in the person of Jesus. Fully human, fully divine, in one being. I'm saying all this so that you can understand how he's able to relate to you. And in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And then in Hebrews 1.8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, these are great verses when you're talking with people who want to tell you that Jesus was not God. The Word of God says that he was. And so God has identified himself completely with us so that we will be completely identified with him. We're able to relate to, to, to Jesus Christ, who is God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. That is God. And that's why it's so important to, to be in this book because you can understand and understand more and more about who God is by the life of Jesus. And in Colossians 1.17, I'm just laying this foundation, and he was before all things, and in him all things consist. Before Jesus came to earth, he was the creator and sustainer of the universe. Think about that, the, the creator and the sustainer of the universe. This is who Jesus is, and now he's humbled himself to become a man on this earth. So Jesus understands us 
as only God can understand, because God knows everything. And Jesus can also understand us as a human being because he experienced human life here. So when we say that God doesn't really care or God doesn't know what I'm going through, he understands totally what you're going through. To every single detail. But what happens is the enemy wants, the enemy, Satan and the demons want you to believe you're on your own. No one understands you. And that may be true in your earthly life sometimes. Maybe your wife doesn't understand you. Your husband doesn't understand you. Your kids don't understand you. Other people in the church don't understand you. But he understands you. That's what's going to be the anchor for you in this, in this walk of faith. So here's some of the things that Jesus knew about. Jesus knew about poverty. In Luke 9, 58, he says, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So his three years of ministry, he was homeless. So if you're in a homeless situation, Jesus understands homelessness. At least the first three years of his ministry. Why? Because he chose to focus on the mission Building treasures in heaven. Matthew chapter 6.33 says, seek, ye the first, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. He had his priorities right. He knew who he was. And, and we can't think, and I'm going to show you, we can't think in the way where, well, he was God, so he had power to weave through all of this and not experience it. No, he was fully man. That was part of the plan to, for him to be the perfect sacrifice for us. The next thing Jesus knew, he knew, he knew grief. He knew what grieving was. With Lazarus in John chapter 11, if you read that story, Jesus had emotions. He experienced sorrow. When Lazarus died, Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead but because he was a friend, he still, and looking around at those who were weeping, he can identify with those that have grief. When you lose a loved one or something like that happens, you're wondering, who can, feel, who can understand how I'm feeling? Jesus can. He understands exactly how you feel. And so... What happens is he understands when we lose a loved one, he understands the inner grief that we have. That's who I'm putting my trust in, is him, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I hope you, today you see him for who he is because he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. He's with you right to the end. Jesus was sensitive to the sorrows of those that were around him. 2 Corinthians talked about he's the God of all comfort. And if you think of these things, of how Jesus understands us, this is how it kind of works. He understands how we feel. And so when we're a Christian and we have the Spirit of God within us, we then can understand how other people feel. We can relate to other people because of his Spirit within us gives us the power to do that. You may not have been through the same thing someone else has, but you can still have compassion and mercy on people. And that comes from God. And that's what makes the difference in people's lives. We're not going to turn there, but Luke chapter 7, um, 
the widow of Nain is coming out of the city with her only son. And in those days, if you were a widow, your son was your source of employment. And so she had lost her son, and Jesus happens to be there as the funeral procession leaves the city. It stops, prays over that casket, and that young man comes alive again. He understands the grief that people have, and in that case, he brought that person alive from the dead. The next thing Jesus knows Sometimes you think, I'm so busy. Jesus knows busyness. He knows a hectic schedule. He knows what that entails. He, for his years of ministry, he was thronged by crowds of people. He had things to do. How many times he was in a place and the, the disciples are like, oh, we need to do this. And he says, no, I need to move on. I need to be about my father's business. I need to go to the next place. He was on a schedule. What happens is that um, his ministry was jam-packed, but also in Mark 1, he would get up early when the disciples were still sleeping to be alone with his father. So in the midst of busyness that you have, you have to find a place to get alone with him. It's, it's a necessity. If Jesus had to do it, we have to do it. Right. Well, I'm not a morning person. I like to sleep late. I don't care what your schedule is. Find the time that works for you, that you're alone with him. Because everyone, even he as a human, needed a break. So in your busyness, I, don't, I can't know if God understands this. My job, my family, all these other activities, it's too much for me. And we are living in a society that's moving way too fast. There's, we're trying to make all kinds of time for all kinds of things. I think Jesus had a, had a single focus. He's seeking first the kingdom in his Father's name to bring forth this gospel message. So he had a hectic life. He had to replenish himself. The next thing Jesus knew he knew pressure. He knows what it's like to be under pressure. And I'll have you, um, Chris, Luke 22. You have that one? Okay. Luke 22, 41 through 44. Oh. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So he knew pressure. 
He was preparing himself to take on the sins of the world. Think about that. Well, he's God, but he's also man. There was no moment in history when a human faced anything greater than what Jesus was going to do. I mean, the more we go through this, the more you're thinking, praise you, God. You are worthy to be worshipped for what you have done and continue to do for us. Um, there's a condition I was reading. It's called hematidrosis. It's when a person experiences extreme levels of stress, anguish, or strain. Under great stress, capillaries in the sweat glands rupture, thus mixing blood with perspiration. The Amplified Bible says on that passage, his sweat became like great clots of blood. That's exactly what was going on. He was under such incredible pressure that he was sweating blood. That's pressure. You could say, well, he was God, but he, he never used his divinity to shortcut anything. He fed the hungry, but then he didn't produce food for himself so that he could be fed. He was always doing it for others. And so that was, that was how he operated in his humanity and in his divinity. He didn't, well, he's God, so that it made it easier for him. No. I think Jesus knows what it's like to be under pressure. Whenever you think, I'm under so, so much pressure, I don't think Jesus had to deal with any of this. He did. This is why he's our Savior. He can relate to us completely. Jesus knows, another thing, Jesus knows temptation. Luke 4, 1 and 2. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they were ended, he was hungry. Satan, Jesus knows about temptation. We can't even imagine what that confrontation was like. Forty days with Satan himself tempting Jesus. It was an all-out assault on God's Son. He felt, he experienced all that temptation is. Could he have sinned? No, because that's where he was God. God can't sin. So he wasn't going to like, oh, the devil tried to get him to sin. He wasn't going to sin. But he's going to feel the full power of that temptation so that you, he understands and you know that he understands your temptation because he's been in that place. He wasn't going to sin. Um, he knows what it's like to be tempted to sin, but never to sin. In Hebrews 4.15, here's what the scriptures say, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. There really isn't an, an illustration that can show you the kind of a weak one that I've heard, and I can't think of anything else. It's like one of those giant 
just think of those giant boulders that you see sometimes on the beach that have been there for centuries. And the waves come against that. The water doesn't move that. It's not going to move it. But that rock feels the full wrath of those waves. That's kind of like with Jesus. He felt the full wrath of temptation, even though he wasn't going to be moved. But he still experienced that. The Word of God is trying to encourage us today that the love of Jesus, he understands us, and that there isn't anything you can't relate to him with that he doesn't understand. That's, that's our Savior. That's the love that he has for us. It was all part of what he was going to do, dying for the sins of the world, but also that we can, were able to relate to him, and his Word says that. Um, one thing is, because he understood people, they were attracted to him. Why? Because he related to people. That's just a side note. He related to people, and so people could relate to him. You want to be effective as a Christian? Let the Holy Spirit allow you to relate to people. And they'll relate to you. Unless you just want to hit them, hit them with the gospel hard and wonder, you know, why they don't really kind of like you. <laughs> Relate to where people are at. And, and, and I don't care what kind of personality you have, the Holy Spirit can change all that. So you're able to relate to where someone is at, and when they can sense that, they open up to you, and that's where the gospel can come in. Jesus did that all the time in the gospels. People were like, you can't talk to that woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And there he was. He was a friend of sinners. He could, he could relate to anyone. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability. We stumble and fall, make mistakes sometimes. And sometimes our hearts are hardened. But God will still work with us. He wants us to be able to relate to people. And, and the Spirit will enable us to do that. Jesus knows, another point, Jesus knows hate. John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you're living for Christ and everybody likes you, you need to kind of pull yourself back. And I don't say go out of your way to make people not like you. <laughs> but if you're living for Christ and you're saying what he wants you to say, there's going to be a lot of people that don't like you. That's just the way it is. That's the package. So if we don't like, if we want to be liked by everybody, it's not going to work. God's not going to be able to use you because you're just trying to make everybody like you. And I'm not saying going out of your way to make people not to like you, but when you're living for Christ, it's going to be offensive to some people. Yeah, that's 
And so that's the normal Christian life. And what happens is people become a Christian and they start living for Jesus and all of a sudden people are, want to be alienated from them, don't want to be a part of them, and then they're alone. And that's why you need a church because you have people who are like-minded to encourage you so then you can go out there and take all that and come back and get filled again and then go back out there. You need encouragement. That's why we're here, encouraging each other today. But if they hated him, they're going to hate you. There's some people I know, when I, when I was employed with the state, you were, you know, they just didn't like me. And I tried to be as sensitive as I could with them, but once they knew where you stood and you didn't want to do what they were doing, all of a sudden you're out of the picture. The question is, can you handle that? Obviously, in, the, in, the human, in our human strength, no, but with the power of the Spirit, we can. Jesus knows it's tough to endure. The next thing, Jesus knows betrayal. Matthew 26, 45 through 50. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand, and while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whosoever I kiss, he's the one, sees him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hold on Jesus and took him. Well, he was God, so that didn't really bother him. No, he was fully man, too. And he was betrayed. He loved his enemies. Here he was, he washed Judas's feet. One moment, he's coming into Jerusalem they're saying the king of, of Jerusalem, the king of Israel is here, and the next minute they're saying, crucify him. Just like that, it happens, right? People will betray you. One minute they're your friend, and next minute they're stabbing you in the back. They're gossiping to you, to others about you, maybe where you work. They tell you one thing, and then they tell other people something else. You don't want to get your heart, heart hardened over that. Just understand, you bring it to Jesus. He understands betrayal. We want to fight back in the energy of the flesh and try to defend ourselves. It never works. You want to go head-to-head -head with somebody and argue. You will be betrayed, but Jesus understands betrayal. Jesus, another thing is Jesus knows abandonment. Just show me scriptures. Mark 14, 27, 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, 
I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all here stumble, I will not. And Jesus said to him, surely I say to you, today, even this night before the rooster crows, twice you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, if, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, see, they all, everybody puts it on Peter, but what does it say at the end? And they all said likewise. They all said the same thing as Peter. We'll never deny you. Jesus knows abandonment. His friends deserted him. Peter disowned him. I don't even know, and if you read the scriptures, he was cursing. I don't even know him. I don't know this man. He knows what it needs to be, to be abandoned. But then, take it to a level that we can't even understand, the ultimate abandon. The Father turns his back on him when he became sin for us on the cross. His father couldn't look on him because he had the sins of the world on him. And what did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows ultimate abandonment. And the last thing, Jesus knew pain and suffering. Just read about the crucifixion. Well, other people have been crucified. Yeah, he was crucified, but he had the sins of the world all on top of him. The full wrath of God was on Jesus for your sins and my sins and the sins of everybody in the past and everybody in the future, the sins of the world. We can't even comprehend what, that's, what that is, what, that, what the suffering that was going on. Yeah, he was God and he was going to complete the mission, but he was also man. He was human. He took on human shortcomings. Why did, God, why did God let him go through all this? To achieve salvation for us and to achieve a greater purpose through him. In Hebrews 4, 8. Excuse me, 5, 8. Though he were son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Sometimes we suffer so that we'll learn obedience. It's not because God is not loving us. He's training us sometimes, and sometimes we're going through suffering. Sometimes your greatest times of growth as spiritually is when you're suffering. Because hopefully you're pressing into God in that time like you would in any other time. This Jesus understands us like no other can. Before I close out with the, um, uh, if you want to stand or if you want to sit, I have a, I have a song that uh, I want to play. Um, and one of the worship leaders is from Boston, Massachusetts, and the other is the worship leader in Nigeria, Africa. And uh, I chose this song because I see just Jesus in this song lifted up to who he is, and to realize this is our Savior. So I'll close this off in, in prayer after, after we watch this, and um, I think after a little while you'll be able to sing with it. So when we stand, then you can get the lights.
I see angels all over this place. I see them bringing testimonies to your hands. I see them bringing answer prayers to your hands. I see them bringing healing to your hands. I see them bringing all cannibal shutter. I see them bringing jobs, employment opportunities all over this place. I see them bringing lifting all over this place. Come on, somebody open up your mouth and begin to declare now. Speak in the Holy Ghost. Express yourself wherever you are now. Call it forth. Call it forth now. The Bible said, for I have given you the power of the tongue. Whatever you decree here on earth is made established in heaven. Do you believe it now? Father, we thank you.
I don't know if I mentioned, those are our brothers and sisters in Africa, Nigeria. Lord, we see you high and lifted up. Angels do bow before your throne. There's 10 million angels bowing before you right now in the book of Revelation. It says, saying, worthy is the Lamb. Just lift your praises to him this morning. He's worthy to be praised. Angels bow before your throne. What a mighty God you are. You're our savior. You're our healer. You're our deliverer. Praise your name this morning. Praise you, God. Lord God, we bow our hearts before you, Jesus, that you are, you are the one like no one else can understand us. Thank you that you are our refuge. We can run to you. Maybe you've never come to Jesus personally. He's calling you. He wants to be your savior. You need a savior. You need to be forgiven. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're either a saved sinner or you're a lost sinner. We're all sinners. But you can be a saved sinner today by asking him to come into your heart to forgive you. And he washes away all of your sins. Your sins and iniquities he sees no more. If you're here this morning, we're praying our eyes closed. If you want Jesus to come into your life, and to forgive you and give you that new beginning that you need and show you the life that he has for you. I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up and put it down. Thank you, Lord, for that hand. Thank you, Lord, for those four hands. Is there anyone else? You can be saved this morning. Lord, those that raise their hands, show them, show them who you are. If you've asked him into your life, Lord Jesus, come in and save me, his spirit will come in, inside of you. Your names will be written in the book, and no one can erase it. You may, you may stumble after that, but you're still in the family. He'll never cast you out. That's our Jesus. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your spirit. Thank you for loving us. Encourage us, Holy Spirit, this morning. Build us up. As we leave here and we enter in wherever you have us to go, to spread this good news to anyone who's a, who wants to hear it. You came to seek it to save the lost. This is the message. This is the good news. 
Believe and you shall be saved. We praise you and we thank you, God. Lord, and I pray for everyone here, those who maybe are in the cafe, continue to protect us, Lord, from this virus, all of us. Surround us. There's angels. Each one of us has two angels, a ministering angel and a guardian angel, if you're a believer. Protect us. Help us to, to be smart, but we're asking for your protection in this church as we move about. We thank you for this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.